we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Psalms 20, verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord has saved his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with saving might of his right hand, with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with saving might, uh, the saving might of his right hand. That's our anchor verses for this series as we're beginning today, and we're uh, excited about going into a new journey with you today on the anointing or being anointed of the Lord. The anointing of God and being anointed of the Lord is, is so important in the hour that we live in. And as a church, I am, I'm, I'm making a desperate cry to you that we are at a critical junction in the body of Christ all over, the, all over this country especially. But we are in a critical place where I feel like we, we desperately need to hear from heaven. We desperately need a move of God. Some of us, we know people right now, if they don't get a move of God, they are self-destructing. They are going to, their lives are going to be destroyed because they need a touch that only God can bring. The Bible says in Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, And he said to them, Thus it is written that, a, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. And, the repentance, and, and that repentance for all, the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this is Jesus' words to the disciples. And he's telling them, look, the resurrection's happened, but you better get ready because something big is about to come. In, in other words, he had already given them the impossible challenge of the Great Commission. And what it was, why do I call it the impossible challenge? I want you to imagine that you are a fisherman from Galilee or you're an IRS agent like Matthew or you're, you know, he, were, he was a tax collector. Um, and you're standing there and you've witnessed these wonderful things of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But now he looks at you and he says, now you're going to go to the whole world and you're going to change the world. You're going to change the world with this message of my hope. I'm going to tell you, that's an intimidating thing. That's an intimidating thing. It's still intimidating today when the Lord looks at all of us and he says, now I want you to go and change the world. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to make disciples of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't stop and say, just go do this and I'm out of here and I'll see y'all when you're done. No, he gave them the, uh, the hope of saying, now go and you stay in the city until what? Until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm, as we enter this, this series today, we're going to be discussing and going into detail about what it means to be anointed. Now, in our church, we anoint with oil. 
This oil has no particular properties of healing power. It's, it, this oil is bought at Walmart. And as I shared in the early service, as far as I'm concerned, Walmart is a den of thieves because every time I go in there, I'm a little bit poorer. Anybody else, okay? Um, but so, so there's nothing holy about the oil. The, this oil is just plain olive oil. You can buy it, you can cook with it. What makes the, the message of anointing a powerful is as we anoint with oil is the obedience to the Scripture. That I'm just being obedient. Where he said, anoint with oil. Those who are sick, anoint them with oil. Why? Because the oil has always been symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the priests were anointed with oil. And they would, uh, as a, if you read about Aaron, uh, they, he had several cruises of oil poured over his head. I mean, when they anointed, they anointed, man. You knew it because people went out with sloshy sandals. Come on. Can you imagine? You hear, that guy was anointed. All right? You might get a little speck of oil on your head. But they anointed, buddy. They meant business. Why? Because it was a representation of being covered by the Holy Spirit, saturated by the Holy Spirit. So that's what the oil in the Old Testament represented. Now Jesus looks at them and says, Now when you go to Jerusalem, get ready because I'm going to saturate you with power. I'm going to clothe you in the power of my spirit so that you can do the impossible. What impossible task? The impossible task was to reach an entire world. And it would be written of these 12 outcasts and 12 misfits, actually 11, and then you know they elected one and God had another in mind named Paul. But... He took these 12 unlikely candidates, and what did he do? It was written of them that these were the men that turned the world upside down. How were they able to turn the world upside down? It was not through might, and it wasn't through power. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that. It is not by might, and it is not by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord. It is through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we can see and do the impossible things that God has placed before us. Now, I'm going to go to, into some explanation today about the Holy Spirit because whether you know it or not, I'm going to tell you. Now, don't get scared. Um, the only snake skin in this room is Michael's boots. <laughs> That's it. We ain't going to pull no snakes out. You do. I'm leaving. I'll beat you in the parking lot. I'm fat, but I'll outrun you. All right. I don't like no snake. Now everybody can breathe easy. He ain't got no box on stage hidden, so there you go. I'm kidding. I don't know about that. Whew. I've watched that, folks. I mean, I have, you know, if that's faith, I ain't got nothing. So, nothing. All right, I'm trying to rein it in. Pray for me. But he says, you'll be clothed with the Spirit from on high. Clothed in the power of the Spirit. And this power, look, I believe that the reason Pentecostal message is misunderstood by a lot of people is because Pentecostals misunderstand their own message. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail in just a moment. But the first thing in the, I want you to understand in this first message of this series, this series on the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that God wants to send His anointing not just so that you can uh, shout in church, not so that you just get excited and get goosebumps, but he wants his anointing to be more than just a church thing. He wants his anointing to affect your marriage, 
your children, your family, your school, your workplace. He wants your anoint, the anointing of His Spirit to affect your relationships with others. In other words, you have brushed up against the anointing of the Lord and maybe not even recognized it at times. Have you ever been around somebody that, and start having a conversation about God and all of a sudden you lose track of time because there's something about that person that just it draws you in like a magnet. You just want to hear more about what they have to say. I'm going to tell you, it is not the appeal of that person that you're feeling. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that has clothed them and you can't get enough of God so it creates a hunger in you. Amen. I've had conversations with people and I just, I didn't want to break the conversation off because I felt such a presence of God in the conversation and it was not because of who they were, it was because of who they were clothed in. Amen. Covered in. Hang with me. We're going to get there. Now, to make this point a little more real to us, I want to talk to you a little bit about a really hot topic in our nation today and all over the world, and that is climate change. Now, I'm not here to debate the politics of climate change. There's a lot of people that believe in climate change, and they believe it is real. And then there are others that believe that the natural pattern of the earth is to grow cooler in seasons and hotter in seasons as it makes its trek through the universe. However, today, we're not going to talk about the physical changes of climate in this planet. What I want to talk to you about is the climate change that is disturbing me and keeping me up at night in the body of Christ. The climate change that I've felt taking place not over the last year, but over the last few decades as we have drifted from taking this word as the literal truth of God and we take it more as advisory notes to my life. I can take the parts I like and I'll reject the parts I don't. And what disturbs me is what I've seen is a drifting from a vital relationship with the Holy Spirit that I'm no longer spirit-led, but I want God to rubber stamp what I do. That disturbs me in the body of Christ. What disturbs me in the body of Christ is the desire to keep religion neat and clean and, and nice and tidy when it's nothing but that at all. It, religion can stay neat and clean. But I'm here to tell you, if you're walking in a relationship with God, it's going to get messy sometimes. I've had my relationship with God carry me to places I never dreamed it would carry me. To talk to people I never thought I would talk to. To live in parts of the world I never dreamed I would live in. In other words, I never dreamed when I was a kid, so many years ago, growing up in church, that God's hand would forever change my life once I fully surrendered to the anointing. It is the anointing of God that no, when we are fully surrendered to and clothed in, that we no longer decide our destiny, but our destiny is decided by God. That we can literally look like the disciples and we can leave behind the nets and follow Him. You see, it's one thing to say, I'll follow you. It's another thing to actually follow. Because Jesus sometimes will walk into places that I don't think are appropriate for me to walk into. And I'll religious up. Anybody ever religious up on things? That's true. <laughs> God can't use that. There's been a lot of times in my life I have walked into church services, with, especially with working with young people, which me and my wife have done a whole lot of, of youth work in our ministries. And we would walk into places and I would watch what was going on. I was thinking, God can't ever use that. God can't ever do nothing with that. That's a bunch of foolishness. We need to be more serious. And all of a sudden, the power of God hit that place. And all of a sudden, people be broken by the Spirit of God. And I see kids getting set free. And I see people saying, all of a sudden, I can be more than what I am because God has got a destiny for my life. I want you to know something today. God is ready to awaken some of you. 
He's ready to set some of us free to be who he wants us to be. But the climate has to change. I have seen the climate within the church go colder and colder and more rigid and more, more, more structured over my lifetime. No, I'm not talking about just open up and let anything fly. I do believe in order, and so does the Bible. Amen. Amen. There's a few books devoted to order in the Bible. However, the freedom of the Spirit to break and to move and to work and to lead us needs to take place. This, this, this series of sermons is talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and how it is necessary in order to change the climate in the current world that we're living in. Oh, I'm not talking about, look, it can go, we can have another ice age or it can get blazing hot. Whatever goes on with that, that's not what we're talking about today. I'm talking about the ice melting off the hearts of those who know Jesus and us getting a passion and a fire relit in us. Come on. Sometimes we sit through worship services and I wonder how in the world we're just sitting there. Mm. Mm. We will see seasons of great heat followed by seasons of great cold and extreme. What are you talking about? There's a lot of Christians, they base their lives like I did growing up. When I was growing up, I lived from youth camp to youth camp, revival to revival, from special service to special service, and then I starved to death and froze to death the rest of the time. What are you talking about? I would, I would go through youth camp and I would have a great experience with God. But on my way home from youth camp, I can remember praying the prayers. God, just get me back to this time next year because that's going to be rough. I didn't realize that the same God that was at the camp was the same God that was in my life right now and right then. That the same spirit that you felt. Some of us, were living from conference to conference and special experience to special experience and we don't realize the same spirit that's there is the same spirit that's in this room and I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit's ready to move among you today. He's ready to work in your life today and He's ready to set you on fire for God. Amen. Now, how am I going to express this? Avocados. What do avocados got to do with it? <laughs> I'm going to admit to you today, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And every now and then I watch nerd shows. And the other week I spent an hour of my life, by the way, that I'll never get back, watching about avocados. <laughs> and it was called Green Gold. Avocados have become one of the most popular fruits in America today and in the world. Why? Because somebody said they were healthy. And if, you're, if you go to anybody, as a matter of fact, you can, put, you can put avocados on your BLT, but that don't make it healthy. Bacon is still bacon. Amen. I like what one comedian says, you know it's, bacon's bad for you when a donut's a better choice. Amen. But avocados, so I was watching about avocados. You say, what's that got to do with our message? If you'll bear with me, I think you're going to get a point today that the Lord made to me watching this show. As I watched the show on the climate that is necessary to grow avocados, do you realize there is only one providence in Mexico that has the, in the whole world that has the right climate year-round to produce avocados year-round? It has a consistent climate. 
There has to be a certain temperature. It can't be higher than 72 degrees. The humidity has to be a certain uh, level of humidity. Everything has to be just right for avocados to be produced. Well, I know my avocados came from California. They are only grown for a season, and then it gets too hot or too cool. But in Mexico... There's a one province that's the only place in the entire world, and they don't even grow it in the beautiful fertile valley. They grow it on a particular patch of the mountainsides because it is at the right place where it will maintain the right climate year-round so there is consistency that they can constantly produce fruit. Well, like any good preacher, I began to look at that, and I said, how can I use that in a sermon? So I began to think about avocados, and how they can only produce, be produced year-round in certain places, or in one certain place. And as I began to pray about where we were at, and as uh, I began to think about the climate of my life, and the climate of my life produces fruit when I'm at a certain place with God, but it doesn't produce it consistently. In other words, if I'm going to see God produce fruit in my life on a consistent basis, I need a climate change in me. I need the right conditions in me. And that's not going to come because I will it, wish it, or want it. It's going to come when the Holy Spirit empowers me and clothes me because when I read about the early church, they never had seasons of we're cold and now we're hot. We're, not, we're in the middle or we're over here. They walked in a consistent walk with God and I can come to no other conclusion but what happened to them in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were clothed in the power that Jesus promised and it produced in them a climate where spiritual fruit was year round and if we have revival we'll get the right climate and you'll see fruit for a season but how long, how many churches have you seen that get on fire for a season and then they cool off they get on fire and then they cool off. When God says what? I am an all-consuming fire. I am the source of what you need. I really enjoyed the services we had last Sunday, both of them. It was good, and some of us get stretched sometimes. You ever been in a church service that stretched your theology or stretched your comfort zone? Do you realize that sometimes you're going to get uncomfortable in the presence of God? Sometimes it's not going to be all warm and cozy. I don't think Moses felt real comfortable at the burning bush. I think he had to take his sandals off because he knew he was on holy ground. The climate had changed. Do you realize today that if we're going to see God save some of the people we've been praying for, the climate doesn't need to change in their life. It needs to change in our lives. And we need to begin to produce the spiritual fruit in order that they might see that there is hope in Jesus. You and I are the living, breathing representation of the gospel in this world. And they must see in us produced lasting fruit. The Bible says that when Jesus was baptized in water, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. A voice came out of heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But the Bible also says that when that spirit came upon him, it remained on him. I want you to understand that we can't have seasons of being on fire for God and then cool off ice cold. We think and we have been convinced that that's the norm. 
When I read about the church in Acts, which we are all challenged to be like the church in Acts, that it is the anointing of God that was the difference between the early church and the modern church. But the good news today is, though we have changed, God has not. For He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if He moved then, He'll move now. If we'll make a move towards heaven, the baptism of His Spirit and the filling of His Spirit will come upon us. And we will be changed. Now, I want to spend just a moment looking at the Holy Spirit and how he works in the believer's life. Now, all my life, all my life, the representation of the Holy Spirit, especially in Pentecostal churches, has been speaking in tongues. Now, I want to explain to you a little bit about that today because though... (laughs) Again, I've told you, most Pentecostals misunderstand our message, and I'm fixing to get to that. God will never create a spirit of confusion. God will never create division. In other words, after the resurrection and prior to his return to heaven, Jesus gave some clear, important instructions to his followers. What did he, what did he say to them? Luke 24, 49, 46 through 49, he said to them, Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day be, ra- be raised from the dead, and, the re- and, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed in the power, the anointing of the, uh, on, from on high. The promise to which Jesus referred to was the Holy Spirit. Simple, plain as that. There's not a theologian, don't care what school of theology they go to, they'll agree to that. And on his, in other words, on his ministry, John 14, verses 6 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you a, another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, but he shall be in you. When you are saved, the Spirit of God is with you. But when you are filled with the Spirit, he's then in you. And that's what he was telling his disciples. Now, this was not a new promise, for this was the promise spoken of in the Old Testament. You need to understand, one backs up the other. Joel 2, verses 28 through 29 says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days I will pour out my flesh. This is of such great importance to to take note of. What Joel is speaking about was not heard of in their society. Women were not, they were considered property back then. They, were not, they didn't have any great value in society. I want you to understand that. But now Joel is looking at them, and this set the religious people on their, on their ear. They did not like what they were hearing. He's saying, look, God is about to pour out his spirit. Amen, we like that. That's good stuff. And he's going to do it on all flesh. That's good. Amen. He's, your sons and your daughters. Wait, wait, your what? Your sons and your daughters. So prophesy, your old men will dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And then he goes on, he says, but even the male and the female, in those days I will pour out my spirit on. In other words, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to use anybody that's going to be available to receive what I'm about to send. And if you are in this room today and you are saved by the power of Jesus, your sins have been washed away, then God is ready to clothe you in his spirit and get you ready to do something for him. And it doesn't matter who you are. What a beautiful message God has given us. The evidence of the Holy Spirit. 
So what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? This is where most Pentecostals stop. And they say, this is what we believe in. We believe in our prayer language. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in other tongues. The Holy Spirit has many purposes, but one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is not to give you shivers and quivers and to make you quake and to make you speak in tongues. It is to make you a powerful witness of Jesus. To give you a voice when you have no voice. To give you courage when you have no courage. To give you strength when you have no strength. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is not just speaking in another tongue. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is what we see in Peter's life. Peter was an unusual man. This man, just prior to the day of Pentecost, had been denying the name of Jesus. Three times he denied the name of Jesus. Three times he said, I don't know who he is. This man who had walked with the Lord, this man who had received his call, who had watched the miracles with his own eyes, now says, I don't know who he is. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was on the angelic selection committee, because we're churches, we've got to have committees. If I was on the angelic selection committee and we were deciding who's going to speak on the day of Pentecost, how many of you would have picked Peter? I guarantee you, not many of you. I wouldn't have. I would have been looking for one who had been with him all the way through the end, and you know who that would have been? John. John went to the foot of the cross. John was the one he looked and said, Son, behold your, mo my, your mother. Mother, behold your son. He entrusted his own mom with John. So I would have probably looked and said, Now, John, you be the one to get up and speak. Peter, you can be there, but keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, you would. Oh, yeah? Let's put it in our phrases. I'll, forgi I'll forgive you, but I don't have to like you. I'll love you, but I don't like you. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget about it. Okay? <laughs> you know that. We all said, you can be there, Peter, but you shut up. Sit there. Be quiet. And let the one that went to the foot of the cross do the talking. But there's something amazing when real change comes into a life. Because it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you've been on. It doesn't matter what, what, what color, creed, or background you are in. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you have done when you have met Jesus and he has changed your life and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that on, on that day it wasn't John that spoke, but it was Peter being filled, being full of the Holy Spirit, clothed in the power of God. This man who had cursed and denied his name now publicly stands up and says, if it cost me everything. I'll tell you what we're talking about. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. He said, this has come to pass in your very ears. But then he goes on and he preaches a message about Pentecost. And it wasn't a message of come be filled in, uh, with the Spirit and speak in tongues. What was his message? That Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, has been raised from the dead. He's both Lord and Christ. He's at the right hand of the Father and he is coming back soon. The Bible says the men were cut in their hearts and they said, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people got saved as a result of the empowering of, the, of Peter by the Holy Spirit. This man who had no voice found his voice. This man who had no courage found his courage. This man who wanted to sit on the sidelines now stood up boldly and said, if it costs me everything, I'll present Jesus to a lost and dying world. You see, I believe that kind of courage needs to fill some of us because we have been undercover Christians 
Christians for too long. We have been silent about our message for too long. We need the empowering of the Spirit. I'm not talking about obnoxiousness. I have met some some obnoxious witnesses for the Lord. Have you? Let's be truthful. You know that... That door salesman witness for God, you're going to convert or what? You're going to do, you know, here's my message. I'm going to tell you now, I I am convinced in my heart, some people have prayed the sinner's prayer just to get somebody off their back. Just to get somebody to leave them alone. I'm going to need for you, it will not be my prayer that gets you to heaven. It's going to be a sincere prayer from the heart that changes someone's life. And instead of leading them through the five points of you got to include all of this in order to get right with Jesus, does not the Bible say, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? I believe if you are sincere and with all your heart you know that Jesus died for you and you just cry out, help me Jesus, I believe your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is ready to do a mighty revival and we don't need someone to say hey pray this prayer you're good we need somebody to be truthful honest clothed in the power that somebody makes a life change amen I won't ask you to raise hands but how many of us prayed the sinner's prayer and we left the room and went and sinned we didn't give it a second (laughs) second thought you know why because you just said words It's what's here. It's the sincerity of the heart that God is looking at. Where are you at today with the Lord? God is ready to do something in your life. So one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit being in your life is that He will give you courage to be a witness. You won't be ashamed of Him. Later on, Paul would write these words, For I am unashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. What was he saying for that? by that? He's saying, I'm not going to back up. Why? Because what's got a hold of me on the road to Damascus changed me forever. And I will forever preach the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He became a barbarian for the Lord. Some of you were barbarians for the Lord when you first got saved. Oh, come on. When I first got, look, when I first was called into the ministry, I was a freshman in college. My long life desire was to be a coach. That's what I was going to do, teach school, be a coach. That's what I wanted to do. When my dad bribed me to go to Bible college, I thought, okay, I'll get my core out of the way and then I'll transfer away. I went in to see the advisor. They said, well, you need to take intro to Christianity. No, I don't. You need to do this class, this religious class. No, I don't. I just need the core because in a year I'm out of here because Dad's making my car payment for a year and then I'm gone. I'll go to the school I want to go to. You know, that car payment was $99 a month. Who would like to have that today? Amen. Amen. You didn't have to take out a mortgage on your car. (laughs) But God had other plans. And after that first semester of trying my best to resist the Lord, turn away from the things that He was calling me to, God got a hold of me. And the more I sought Him, the more He began to put a desire in my heart to preach His Word. Now you need to understand, that was against my nature. I had grown up in a pastor's home. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I just wanted to live a normal life. 
But when the Lord gets a hold of you, the way he got a hold of me, he wasn't giving me an out. It was yes, if you want to walk in my will. No means you're out of my will. I said yes to the Lord, not because I had the ability. You see, I was giving God every reason. Not, I always learned, see, we like to play those games with God. How many's ever heard this? Never tell God never, because he'll make you do it. Well, if you need it, he's going to give it to you anyway. Amen? So those games don't work with God. Or my other favorite one is, you know, don't say never or you'll have to do it. And, and uh, you know, and, you know I, I had so many friends that said, I'll never be a pastor. And they ended up being pastors or whatever. If God knows it's good for you. How many's ever heard this? Don't pray for patience. Anybody? Am I the only one that heard that? Why? Because patience comes through trials and tribulations. If you need patience, God loves you enough, it's coming anyway. You might as well pray it. Amen? Amen. What are you saying, Pastor? God got a hold of my life, and it changed who I would be forever. God wants to get a hold of some of our lives and change who we are. But we've got to be willing to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is not just speaking in other tongues as we have said. The, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit, is that you develop an unwavering testimony of who Jesus is in your life. In other words, you're not ashamed of him when you're at school. You're not ashamed of him when you're at work. You're not ashamed of him at all. You're going to share that you belong to him. And as I said, not in an obnoxious way. I've met people that have turned me off because of the way they presented the gospel. Amen? We must present the gospel in love. But let me submit to you today. You can have all the knowledge you, ha you can have about how to win somebody to the Lord. You can have all the talent, skills, ability, gifting. And they, they, everybody, I know a lot of gifted people. But it is only the anointing of the Holy Spirit that will break the chains of bondage in somebody's life. And I'm here to tell you that's not something you can manufacture or I can manufacture. That's something that God has to send. And if we want to see people set free, it's not going to be because how talented we are or how gifted we are. I, I, I want to just share this with you. In other words, you say to somebody, come to church because, you know, that praise team's on point. Or the pastor's preaching a really good sermon this time around, and everybody bombs. The praise team's totally off-key. Every song seems to be wrong, and the pastor can't even so, know. You don't even know if he knows what a Bible is. And you look at that person and say, well, if you'll come back next week, you'll get something really good. Because they'll probably be back on point. In other words, the season and the climate may shift back to where we'll get something good. But my friend, if we will get along with God and start seeking for the Spirit to be poured out into our lives, not just the pastor or the leadership of this church, but as the congregation of this church, God, will you come in and start changing the, the climate of our church? Will you start changing the climate so that we can produce the fruit that you want us to produce? And what is the fruit that He wants us to produce? I'm going to tell you very simply, it is the fruit of souls. Showing people that Jesus lives. And Jesus loves them. So what is baptism? In other words, we talk about the baptism of the Spirit. I'm going to expound on that a little bit. There are seven passages in the New Testament that refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or in relation to the Holy Spirit. Four of these 
are from the words of John the Baptist recorded in the Gospels. In other words, John the Baptist, the great baptizer, he did what? In Matthew 3.11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there is one coming after me mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Mark 1 and 8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.33 all quote John the Baptist concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John, uh, Acts 1 and 5, Jesus spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And John baptized you with water, but I will baptize you from, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's in Acts 1 and 5. Acts eleven sixteen. there's a record of the events that took place in the house of Cornelius. Peter quoted the words of Jesus. In Acts eleven sixteen. Peter says, And I remember the words of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Paul also used the word baptize in relation to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, slave or free, and all we have, all we have, made, have drink of the one spirit. In other words, he's saying the baptism of the spirit in our lives. We need the anointing of the spirit in order to break the yoke of bondage that's around this country and around the lives, more importantly, of those that you are so desperate to see a move of God in. Right now, you know people that if God doesn't step into their situation, it's going to self-destruct. They're going to self-destruct. My friend, is the only way we're going to see a true revival of God is through an anointing of the Spirit. I want to go back to our anchor verse in Psalms 20. Psalms 20, verse 6 he says, now I know the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven with saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. In other words, what is he saying in that passage of scripture? In the days of Bible times, one of the most lethal weapons in the army were chariots. They were almost like tanks today. And these chariots would be made of iron and steel, and, 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 and they were, or bronze. And as they rolled by, they made quite a bit of noise. And one chariot might make a little bit of noise, but when you got a 1,000 or 10,000 chariots, that's a lot of chariots. And in this time, when battles would take place, the armies would take their chariots, and the noise of their chariots would intimidate those who were coming. Now, if you're on the, on, the, on the side that has the most chariots, when you heard that sound, it would bring great comfort. In other words, you would say, hey, look at all the chariots we got. We don't have much to fear. So the psalmist is saying some are putting their trust in what can be provided by man. Some have put their trust in the noise that they can make for God, but they have no power. In other words, Paul broke it down, said there are some that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He said from those type of people, turn away. There's a lot of people that talk about the healing of Jesus, but they don't really believe that Jesus can heal. Oh, God, help me preach this. There's a lot of people that trust in the noise of worship, but they don't even know who they're worshiping. 
There's a lot of people that know how to say amen in church, but they don't even know what they're amening. Folks, I'm telling you, we need a move that only God can bring. And some of us have trusted in the noise of the church. When it's not in the noise of the church, it's in the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It is the sound of the Spirit filling us and clothing us in power that we can leave this place and be world changers. You and I, we're called. To change the world. Well, Jesus has got to do that. Yes, but who do you think he's going to use? His church. His people. We need an anointing that only he can bring. You ask anybody that's ever ministered. You can preach under the anointing. And you can preach with the charisma Charisma will carry you pretty far. But only the anointing will break the yoke of sin in this world. Only the anointing. I am convinced that what we're in need of is climate change. And that comes with the anointing. And that's not everybody coming by and having a dot of oil put on them. That's when we get alone with God and we say we're tired of religion. We're ready for a relationship. Some of us have complained about our situation and God's saying, I haven't removed you from that situation because I'm ready to anoint you to handle the situation. Some of our kids are going crazy on us. The anointing will break the yoke of bondage. Common sense sometimes is not going to even do what it, what, what it, well, if you think common sense is going to work, nobody got common, I wish everybody had common sense. Amen? It doesn't make sense what some people are doing to self-destruct. Only God can wake them up. We can holler and we can preach and we can try to slap this world in the face and say, come to your senses. But I'm here to tell you, if we really want a move of God, it is not going to come out from what we're doing right here. It's going to come from being on our knees and saying, God, we're ready for that power to come, that we can be witnesses, that we can share your word the way we should. I want you to stand. Put the brakes right there. I just want us, if we would, bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. And if you're here today, and you're dealing with something impossible, I'll just tell you, in my spirit, I sense some folks that are fighting some battles, and you've been fighting them, and you're just tired. You're just weary. And you have been trying to win the struggle in your home or you've been trying to win the struggle with your spouse or your kids or your job situation or your school situation. You're trying your best to win that struggle. It's almost like you're in quicksand. The more you fight it, the more you sink. Some of us in this room, we feel like we're about to go under and we're desperately clawing to stay above water. 
when God is ready to not let you just get by but to have victory the anointing of the spirit some trust in chariots some trust in horses but we will trust in the Lord I'm going to trust in the anointing I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit to come in and change the situation while every head is bowed and every eye is closed I will not pull you to this altar I don't operate that way if I ever walk back there to you, that's God on me. I can promise you. I just don't do that. I'm not here. Embarrassing somebody into the kingdom is not real change. <laughs> but if you're in this room today and you are facing situations that the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit needs to intervene in, I just want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down while nobody's looking around. Come on. That physical move to represent a spiritual situation in your life. That's me, Pastor. I need God to do something. Come on. If that's you, there's others. Raise your hand. Put it right back down. Thank you. Come on. There's some others in this room. You need God to move. You need God to move. You're miserable in your situation, and you know God's got to move. God's got to move. You're desperate to see a move of God. Some of us are up against situations that we have tried our best to solve and we can't solve it. Uh, for a moment, we might have a little bit of peace, but then it seems to unravel. I'm telling you, it's time to let God's anointing come into your life and fight that battle. If that's you, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. There's some others. There's some others in this room. Obey the Lord today. Here's the tough part. This altar's open, and if that's you, you want to come, then you need to come right now. Make that move right now. Don't wait on somebody else. You need God to move. Make that move right now. Make that move right now. Don't wait on anybody else. Slip out of your seat. Make that move. Come on. There's somebody in this room needs to make a move. I'm telling you. There's folks God's dealing with your heart. You say, well, I'll pray when I get home or I'll pray in the car. I got news to you. A lot of life can take place between here in the car and here in the house where this feeling kind of lifts off of us. If God's dealing with your heart, maybe you're struggling with being a witness for God. And you're saying, I, I don't know how to share the gospel with my, even with my family. I don't know how to share. Somebody's wanting to hear your story, believe it or not. But they don't need to just hear what God has done. They need to, to, to sense the anointing on that. Will you come? Will you come? There's some others. Now, I'm going to tell you, you're welcome to this altar, but if you have you raised your hand, you're still at your seat. What I want you to do, I want you to take somebody by the hand and just say, okay, let's pray because we need the anointing. If you're a father, you're a mother, you're saying we need the anointing in our family, I want you to reach over and take somebody and say, we want God's presence to be overwhelming in our house. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.